Welcome to Practical Access. I'm Lisa Deaker. And I'm Rebecca Hines. And Lisa, I was hoping today we could talk about a topic that I keep getting questions about because not only because I have a nephew who is high school aged uh, with significant disabilities, but also because I teach a lot of classes right now in transition. And the question that I keep getting is, how do we make sure that kids with disabilities and all kinds of disabilities have access to college when they, they may be on, depending on their state, some, some track that would otherwise prohibit them? Yeah, it truly is still a, a zip code issue, depends on which uh, zip code you live in, which state. And I think today when we talked about having this question, I was like, yeah, I'm not answering this one by myself. It's a pretty loaded question. So decided to bring in one of our friends. Uh, we have a lot of friends, as the field knows, and a very special friend today who actually really kind of was the silent push behind the change in our state in uh, removing our special diploma to give kids with all levels of abilities and differences access to college. So Camille, welcome, and we're so thrilled you could join us. Thank you for having me today, ladies. Yeah, so Camille, can you give us a little bit of your background and kind of where your inspiration for what has now happened in Florida is that the special diploma is gone. Yay, that alone is a cheer. But you were really an impetus for making that happen. So can you share a little bit of that story um, with the field in this podcast? Sure, my name is Camille Gardner, and I serve on the board for the Down Syndrome Foundation of Florida. And more importantly, I have a 17-year-old son that has Down syndrome. And so that's where uh, my passion comes from. And I learned about this issue. Gosh, Lisa, I can't remember exactly what year it was, um, but probably like 2011-ish. And you shared with me about a student that you had had um, that happened to have Down syndrome that wanted to take some classes and that um, technically she was not allowed because she had a special diploma from Florida. And um, I met with Elise and Tina and learned about their story. And fortunately at the time, uh, we had an advocate in the legislature. My husband was serving in the legislature. And obviously this was a passion of his also. And um, we were able to educate some of the other lawmakers. I think um, education is a key. I think sometimes there's laws that exist and the people making the laws or the people who have made the laws, they just don't understand how it's working in real life. Um, So that education piece was a big piece of it, you know, explaining to them how it's working and how it was prohibiting people from really doing anything after high school. So, so, oh, sorry, Becky. I'm sorry, Lisa, but can we say, (laughs) we we, go ahead first. Okay, you go, Becky, go, Becky. So Camille, because Lisa's a lot more familiar with this than I am, just to kind of recap what you just said um, for our listeners. So in Florida, there was a special diploma that kept students from having access to taking anything post-secondary. Is that right? Correct. The law at the time stated that um, if you had a special diploma, you could not attend college classes 
at, at the Florida universities. I think, what was it like when you turned 65? I think there was a law that when <laughs> you turned 65. I was going to say, Camille, that drove yeah. me crazy is that when you were 65 in Florida, you could. So right. you got to wait. Yeah. <laughs> so if Andrew turned 65, he could, you know, and if my son would have turned 65 and we're like, that just doesn't seem right. And I do remember saying to you, you know, if you could just fix this before I die. And I still remember the day you started the commission, you called me and said, please don't die, but <laughs> this. And I was like, wow, you know, to me, it was, it was not only a testament to you and, and Andy's work, but just of having a voice with your legislature and, and a, a simple statement like that, that you not only took to heart, but you actually took on the family and really kind of shared the story. I'd love to hear how that journey went. <laughs> you know, I really, I give, um, that side of it to Andy, because I'm just like the little, you know, mouse in the ear that says, hey, I have this idea that someone shared with me. <laughs> um, and then he, you know, it is important that in that those um, relationships with our legislators. Um, and if you're not fortunate to have a family member that's serving in the legislature, I think as advocates, it's important for us to be making those relationships with our legislators during the year. And not just when we need something, but, you know, during campaign season and um, just for other things that you have a mutual relationship with them so that when you need something, they're already familiar with your issues and you're not having during a busy legislative session to go and first, um, first be introducing yourself to them and, and your issues. Um, so I think a lot of it was, um, a lot of it was just having my husband serving in the legislature that obviously was, you know, you have a seat at the table um, and that makes a big difference. But I think once you educate the other members and he was able to you know do that because he knew them but educate them then i think they're more aware of what's happening and i just think sometimes our population people with unique abilities are kind of overlooked um and so they need a voice and um, we were able to provide that voice and camille since since most other people listening to the podcast may not have a spouse in the legislature um can you give us a little a little insider tip on how do we become that mouse in the ear? Should we should we reach out to like bigger organizations and become a part of that so that we have kind of a collective voice? Uh, I mean, from your opinion, like what who else would your husband have listened to, honestly, about an issue as big as this? Because it feels overwhelming for just the general person. And I'll say um, it's possible. I remember Andy championed um, to have a, a personal care assistant. I remember there was a young man, I think he had cerebral palsy and um, he was an adult, a grown adult, and he was going to be a lawyer. And I, I think he may have already graduated from law school, but he, his dilemma was he needed a personal care assistant that, you know, was not included um, in what the state was covering. And they, he worked with him to help get that, you know, included so that he could then be able to work and carry on life and be a, you know, taxpaying citizen. So it's not only if you have a, a spouse in the legislature, but I think, I think by all means, one person can make a difference. I think obviously collectively, if you, um, I'm fortunate because when, if you have a child with Down syndrome, you have a whole community, not everybody um, has a family member that has a diagnosis that, you know, puts you part of a community. So I think, um, it doesn't have to just be as a community. You can individually go and meet with your legislator. It does matter um, if it's your legislator, not that anybody wouldn't meet with you, but it makes a difference if you are a voting constituent um, in their district and just calling the office and saying, I'd like to come in um, and meet with uh, 
him or her and sit down and talk, and they do that all year long and sitting down and just having, you know, it'd probably just be a five or 10 minute conversation. And the other thing to remember is that if you can't meet with the legislator, meeting with their staff is sometimes even more important because um, the staff is really who's doing the work. And um, I shouldn't say doing the work. They're doing like, you know, the day-to-day -day stuff. Um, I know here in Florida, because that didn't sound right. <laughs> um, here in Florida, our legislators are only part-time, but the staff is there full-time. And so, you know, speak. some people think, oh, I only got to talk to the legislative aide, but that's really important also because they're there. Um, it's their full-time job. Sometimes they, after, you know, one member may term out of office, they go and work for another member. So um, don't think that if you're just meeting with staff, that it's just meeting with staff. It's, it's just as good and it's equally as important. So I know one of the things that you immediately did and you really led part of that because I had the privilege of serving on is you started a commission to look at this and to talk about this and brought all those constituents to the table. And yet what I think I found and and I'm curious because you know sometimes people run into a legislator's office or angry and upset. And I think there was enough people at the table that you brought that were angry and upset, but it was such a gentle, positive message of, of change. How do you how do you see that happening? And how did that happen in this with the commission? Like what was the vision to move this forward without a lot of people upset because you changed the diploma option before you started granting college access, which I thought was brilliant. Um, I think I think just bringing a group of people together. Um, and I think sometimes people who, you know, you need to win over the people who are not in agreement with you. I think, you know, that's part of what's wrong with our country right now is we're very like, I think this and you think that, and that's it. You know, um, I think it's sitting down and talking. And I think to be successful, sometimes you have to listen to the other side that says, I don't agree. I think there should be a special diploma because, you know, this for these reasons. And I say, well, these are the reasons why those, your issues, you know, your reasons are causing an issue or prohibiting um, our people from our state of not being able to be live independent lives. And I, and maybe it makes someone think, oh, wow, well, I never thought of that, or I never realized how that was um, limiting somebody else, a thing that they had never thought of. I mean, before my son was born, to be honest, I never thought about how laws specifically affected people with unique abilities. You know, now I think about it all day long. <laughs> um, so there's obviously more people out there who are not, uh, don't live with someone who has unique abilities or don't even know anybody. And so it's, you know, an opportunity to educate those people. And I think it was just bringing together people who agreed and didn't agree with the change and kind of working through something that worked best for people with unique abilities to be able to live as independent of life as they can and have the most opportunities. I think that's a really important point and really well stated, Camille, thanks. We talk a lot about advocacy and you've just given us a blueprint for it in our, in our own community by starting with our local representatives and especially your point uh, about meeting with the aides. I, I, I appreciate that and I hope that some of our listeners will go out and start looking at paths to make change whatever their change might be. And you know, a lot of times, um, as parents and as advocates, you know, we're, it's obviously we're very passionate. It, a lot, you know, usually we're talking about our children, um, but sometimes we have to take the passion out of it and, and think of the data. I remember when Andy worked, um, we talked about, you know, restate and restraint and seclusion in classrooms. And rather than be like, this is how we're changing it. They said, okay, well, let's, tr let's start tracking it. Right. And we started tracking it. <laughs> then when the numbers came back, it was like, 
okay, we need to make some changes. Um, so sometimes we just have to say, okay, maybe there's from point A to point C, we have to stop at point B. It's not bad, but it just is a better, you know, there's a, there's a path and not just, you know, straight through. And I know for our listeners, some of the, like the first, the way we, we were kind of brought you on is a question that was asked is, you know, what does it look like in Florida? And, you know, we have kind of these tiers. So I'll share that with the listeners. You know, we have this, you know, you, you got a standard diploma, like most of us. And I always laugh when people get really caught up in diplomas. I'm like, I want to remind you, I have never, ever, ever gone on a job interview and they asked for a copy of my high school diploma. If I say I have one, they just believe me. I mean, I think that's interesting. And yet then there's a, there's other tiers. Like you added this tier diploma for kids who want to take these advanced classes and show they're ready for, you know, the really high level college versus career. But then there is also still the certificate of participation for that kid who might not be able to show anything. But now we've got this way for the IEP committee to say, look, this is a standard diploma for this kid instead of this is a third class citizen. And I think it's really become a civil rights piece. But I'm going to ask you then from beyond the diploma to talk for just a moment about something that you should be very proud of. And, you know, I have to celebrate that your husband's name's behind it um, with the Florida Center for Students with Unique Abilities and the Gardner Scholarship that really not only did the diploma get changed, but you really changed the lives of people with intellectual disabilities across this whole state. So first of all, Becky and I wanna say thank you, but I'd love for you to share the story of where that is gonna take us in the next decade so people can follow that work across the country. Um, you know, it's really neat. And Andy and I love um, getting to meet families that their sons and daughters have gone on to post-secondary programs or, or who are using the Gardner Scholarship um, because uh, our tagline for the Down Syndrome Foundation of Florida is when potential is given opportunity, the outcome is success. And I think when you think about the Florida Center for Students with Unique Abilities or the Gardner Scholarship, um, it falls right into that. So our kids have so much potential uh, but it's up to us to provide those opportunities as the state, as the Down Syndrome Foundation of Florida, as parents, as the community. And I think those, the Gardner Scholarship and the Florida Center for Students with Unique Abilities provide those opportunities and um, families can just provide the educational resources that their sons or daughters need, which could be different for everybody. What works for my son, you know, may not work for somebody else's son or daughter. And then um, when I see the, the center and I had an opportunity to, Andy and I spoke at a conference they had recently, and we got to listen to some of the students that ha- are taking college classes around the state. And it's just, um, it re- it's really awesome. I mean, that's just, you know, the only way to explain it. And just, you know, even the parents, you know, some of them never thought that that would be a possibility or a dream for them. And it's just, it's like, it is, like you said, it's life-changing for them. And um, Andy, I'm actually going to be speaking um, at a conference for post-secondary colleges in Ohio in April to kind of share some of the things we did here in Florida of maybe some of the things that they can do up there. But I just think um, it's just, it's, it's, it was time. I think you're right. It is a civil rights issue. I always say that um, people with unique abilities is the last group of people, in my opinion, that it's okay to discriminate against. Um, I think that changes. It's, it's changing, but it's a slow process. Um, and we, and really as parents, we just want our children to be seen as equal and to be given the same opportunities. And um, what makes one person happy in life doesn't make somebody else happy, but just having the opportunities to choose what they want to do and how, um, how they get to live that independent life is, is what it's all about. So um, we're glad to have been in a position to have the opportunity 
to provide some of those opportunities. So uh, Becky, you got a last closing thought and then I just have one, one quick one to wrap us up today. Uh, no, I just want to thank our friend um, Camille Garner. Uh, we, Lisa and Camille and I had have had a lot of opportunities to collaborate, and it's always a pleasure to work with somebody who is not only so passionate but results driven. It's it's inspirational, and we appreciate it. Yeah, and, and well, I, you know, I I just want to end by not only thanking you but saying that you know what. Sometimes it's that chance encounter. Uh, I still remember when you and Julie called me. I didn't know you were any legislator's wife. I didn't know anything. You just happened to be another mom of a kid with a disability. And we sat down and started talking. And then, you know, a couple of weeks later, I found out, you know, you had some influence. But I do think that it's sometimes mom to mom, colleague to colleague, teacher to teacher, friend to friend, legislator to legislator. That's how change happens. So I not only thank you for reaching out to us at UCFS professors and seeing the value of that partnership, but also just daily living the message of making the world a better place for students with disabilities. So we thank you for being with us. Well, thank you for having me today. And thank you ladies for all that you do every day out there. Um, changing the lives of individuals with unique abilities and also um, teaching young people to be teachers who can go on and be advocates for our, for our uh, sons and daughters. So thank you both very much. All right. Well, thank you for joining us. If you have questions, you can find uh, a way to call in with your questions on our Facebook site or uh, tweet us at Access Practical. Thank you again, Camille.